Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication and what I'm reviewing today is the film adaptation of the short story, the much beloved it turns out, short story, The Mangler. Uh, the short story itself was published in the pages of Night Shift, Stephen King's first collection of short stories. And I have begun my revisitation of the stories within Night Shift um, back when the Stephen King cast first launched and I was making my way through the chronological order publication. Uh, you know, I got to the 1978 publication of Night Shift. I reviewed some of the short stories, not all the short stories. I've since gone back. You can find my reviews of the rest of the stories in uh, Night Shift Part 2. And seeing as how I've reviewed all of the short stories, I have then gone on to begin reviewing all of the film adaptations of the short stories found within Night Shift, which brings us to today. I'll be talking about The Mangler, and fittingly enough, I just want to point out, uh, if you hear some noise in the background, um, as you might know, I, I do the podcast for most of the time in my basement, and I currently am doing a load of wash, so I think that that is an appropriate background noise when talking about The Mangler. So as you guys know, over the last couple weeks on the Stephen King cast, I have been talking about an upcoming film, One for the Road, which is very appropriate to talk about on this particular podcast, um, or this particular episode, and the past few episodes, because we have been focusing so closely on stories found within Night Shift, and as we all know, One for the Road is one of the stories <clears throat> within Night Shift. Now, One for the Road has always been one of Stephen King's um, better short stories, and it, it, it really is neat um, examining this, um, this the, the world of Salem's Lot sort of through a, a sideways glance, knowing that this world, that this story takes place um, within the, the, the backdrop of Salem's Lot, following the events of Salem's Lot. I always thought that it was a story that was ripe for um, cinematic translation. Luckily, we um, have the possibility of that coming to fruition, but we also need your help to, 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 to make it happen. I have been in communication with, um, with Josh, the uh, writer-director, and um, so what I'm going to read right now is the the press release, um, and then I'm going to tell everyone how they can help out in, in helping to make One for the Road happen. So One for the Road, a short film starring Lance Hendrickson, begins production in September. One for the Road, based on the short story by Stephen King, will begin production in September. Currently set to star in the film is veteran horror and science fiction actor Lance Henriksen, as well as Don Schribner, Matt Roy, and Danielle Belinsky. The film's director, Joshua Brucker, aims to raise funds for the production over the next month and a half using the popular crowdfunding platform Indiegogo. It's truly an honor to work with such talented actors, Brooker said. I've gotten to know many of them personally over the last few months, and I'm quite confident in their abilities. Lance Hendrickson is a legend in the business, and I'm incredibly excited to watch his character come to life. All actors involved will complement the story quite well. One for the Road was first introduced to readers in 1977, then republished in 1978 in Stephen King's first short story collection, Night Shift. The story follows two reluctant men who agree to help a desperate and stranded uh, traveler who unknowingly stumbles across the danger that lurks in Salem's Lot. It gives the reader a brief glimpse into the world of Jerusalem's Lot, the setting of King's second published novel years after vampires infested the town. 
It's a small contained tale, but filled with tremendous lore and mystery, Brucker said of the story. I've been a fan of King my entire life, and Night Shift was the first book I purchased that was penned by him. The story struck with me ever since childhood, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to bring the story to life in a way that hasn't been done before. The cast and crew are set... Um, and production begins in September in International Falls and Rainier, Minnesota, once the crowdfunding campaign is successful. Contributors of the Indiegogo campaign can expect perks such as access to view the film before the festival run, official posters, production stills, crew t-shirts, official uh, film props, as well as the opportunity to have their image featured on a missing poster in the film. And I'll go through these specifically, what each donation will get you. The campaign launched on July 19th and is expected to run until August 19th or later. Filmmaking has always been a passion of mine, Brucker finished. I've been a huge fan of horror my entire life, and I aim to bring to the audience a film that stands out among the rest, doing King's story justice and frightening viewers in the same way horror of the 80s and 90s frightened me. I want to give them something they can really sink their teeth into. So guys, if you go um, to indiegogo.com backslash projects backslash one... For the Road, starring Lance Hendrickson, um, horror, and make sure there's a dash between each of those. Actually, you know what? Just go to, <laughs> go to my Facebook page um, or go to the One for the Road Facebook page and just find the link. I have it there. But if you go to Indiegogo.com, you can do a search for projects, and if you just type in One for the Road, it will come up. So um, you can find the link at <clears throat> um, my Facebook page, at One for the Road Facebook page, um, and once you get to the Indiegogo uh, link, uh, if you just type in Indiegogo on your own, you can just find it. Um, so here's the deal, guys. With crowdfunding, as you know, or as you may not know, um, donations come with whatever you're comfortable. And when you donate, you get something. You just don't get the movie um, or, or the, the the honor of helping to make this movie come to fruition. You're also, you're also going to get stuff. So um, donations range from... $5 all the way to, um, I believe it is, yeah, it's $2,000. So whatever you are comfortable. If you, if you don't, you know, and I understand that money is tight. Believe me, I know that money is tight. Um, so if you don't feel comfortable shilling out $2,000, that's fine. No one is asking you to. But if you do have 5 bucks, um, which is less than a large venti um, uh, cup of Starbucks coffee. So if you have five bucks, donate five bucks. It's going towards something that we all feel passionately about, right? So $5 will give you the beer. And I, I love the categories here because it's very appropriate for one for the road. $5 will give you the beer, which includes a customized profile picture for your social media page, a social media shout out, and a heartfelt shout out. Or you could go with the $10, um, which is the, the tall boy, and this includes a social media shout-out, a heartfelt shout-out, um, and a digital download of the soundtrack. Uh, $25 will give you the glass of wine, and I like my glass of wine. Um, so you you might get a you, or you will get a social media shout-out, a heartfelt shout-out, a digital download of the soundtrack, and access to the film before the film festival run itself. So you're going to be on the ground floor being able to watch it before really anyone else does. If you have $50 just lying around, um, then that will get you a shot of bourbon. And this includes uh, the social media shout out, a heartfelt shout, uh, thank you, digital download of the soundtrack, access to the film before the, the festival run. Then you can also get um, official production stills and the official poster. 
For $100, uh, this is the Bourbon and Coke. Now we're getting fancy. Uh, this includes the social media shout-out, the heartfelt shout-out, um, the digital download of the soundtrack, access to the film before the film festival run, official production stills, official poster, and then it also gets you special thanks in the credits. So this way you can, once the movie is all made, you can show it to all your friends and family and actually see your name in the credits of an actual movie, which is awesome. $150 gets you the highball. Um, and this includes, and this one I think is really, really awesome for like nothing. $150 bucks for what you're about to get is like, it's it's nothing. It is your own picture to be used in the film um, as a missing persons poster. So it's a very, very cool way to have your your mug, uh, your mug shot up on the, uh, on the screen of this movie as a missing persons poster. And also gets you the social media shout out, the heartfelt thank you, access to view the film, digital download of the soundtrack, official production stills, and your image in the film. $250 will buy you a martini, um, and uh, this will include the official crew t-shirt and also includes the social media shout-out, a heartfelt thank you, access to the film, digital download of the soundtrack, production um, stills, special thanks on IMDb. $500 will get you the daiquiri, which will include the official crew t-shirt um, signed by the cast and crew and an associate producer credit. Okay, so now we're really starting to make some difference here um, with, with with the money. And it also gets the, the social media shout out, a heartfelt thank you, access to view the film, digital download, the soundtrack, official poster, um, and then the associate uh, producer credit on IMDb. For $1,000, it'll get you the Long Island iced tea. So instead of the associate producer, you will get the co-producer credit um, and official prop from the film. So for a thousand dollars, you are you're you're really going above and beyond, and you're you're one of the the major financial backers of this film at this point. So you are now a a, a pretty important producer of this film. Um, and it also gets you the social media shout out, heartfelt thank you, access to view the film, digital download the soundtrack, official production stills, official film prop, co-producer credit. For $1,500 gets you a Mai Tai, nice and exotic. Uh, so this will include the social media shout out, heartfelt thank you, digital download the soundtrack, access to um, view the film before the festival run, um, producer credit on IMDb, plus, and this is the big one, it will get you um, a role on the movie um, as a bar patron um, or an extra role as an extra and an official film prop. So now you are able to be in the movie, which is great. And for $2,000, what you will get, um, a signed official poster and a t-shirt, an official prop from the film, the executive producer credit on the Internet Movie Database, an extra role in a scene with Lance Henriksen himself, and a five-day on-set experience as an official guest of the production crew. Travel and lodging not included. Guys, do you like Lance Henriksen? Do you want to tell all of your friends and family that you want that you were in a movie with Lance Henriksen? and you were in a role with Lance Hendrickson in a movie, then this is the option for you. I know that's it's a bit hefty, but some people out there listening to this um, I know can't afford $2,000. If you have $2,000, you want to meet Lance Hendrickson, you want to hang out for a week um, with the cast and crew as they're filming this movie, do you want to be in a movie, be a part of something happening, then $2,000 will get you the Bloody Mary, um, you'll be able to be in the movie with Lance Hendrickson and get all of these other um, really cool gifts as well. So, guys, uh, this is exciting stuff. Um, and I, 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 as a fan of Stephen King, as a fan of Vampires and One for the Road and Salem's Lot, um, 
I, I, I think that getting the word out here is very, very important. I think that together we can actually make this happen. I think that this could be something that we all look back and not just watch. And it won't just be any Stephen King adaptation. It will be one that we together as Stephen King fans helped make happen. So if you have any money, any spare time, head on over to Indiegogo. Just do a search for One for the Road, or you can get the link on my Facebook page or on the One for the Road Facebook page, and just donate with whatever you're comfortable. Um, and then just know that you doing that, you are, you're helping make a movie, and you will be a part of it. So that is a really cool way to, to just keep Stephen King um, and and the word of Stephen King going. Because remember when I started the the Stephen King cast in 2014 there just wasn't a lot to talk about Stephen King he had receded um, in the pop cultural conversation now we are in the, the midst of a really big Stephen King uh, renaissance and it's awesome and now you can be a part of it too so if you want to be a part of it head on over to Indiegogo um, and donate what you're comfortable in making one for the road come to life also, um, it is summer, and with summer comes nice weather. With nice weather comes t-shirts. I'm currently wearing a t-shirt. It happens to be a Stephen King-inspired uh, t-shirt. It, it is the, 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 the Ka symbol. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really cool t-shirt. Um, it's a really cool logo, and I can walk down the street. People might just look at it and say, oh, it's a cool designer shirt. They're not going to really understand that it's it's a Stephen King-inspired shirt, but Stephen King fans will know, and they'll be like, yo, that guy has a Stephen King t-shirt. I didn't know that they made Stephen King t-shirts like that. That's really esoteric. Where can I get one? Well, you can get one at um, ka-tet19.net or just Google ka tet uh, t-shirts and it should come up. The guys um, that, 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 that create these t-shirts, they are Stephen King fans and they have a really strong eye for fashion. So this combination has yielded the number one spot to get your Stephen King t-shirts. Um, you know, as, as I've said before in the past, I, I own some of the shirts. Like I said, I have the, the, the Cotet symbol. I have uh, the, the, the Dairies uh, Losers Club t-shirt. I have the Man in Black Flood Across the Desert and the Gunslinger Followed. And like I said, every day is a temptation um, to, to, to go onto the site and just buy all the t-shirts that are there. And they have so many good t-shirts that, that you can choose from. Um, there is an Oi t-shirt. There's a Nozala t-shirt. There's a Dixie Pig t-shirt. There is a Gunslinger's Academy. There's a Sheb Saloon. There is a Shardik University. There is a Blaine is the Pain and That is the Truth. There is a... Um, a Hey Jude one with the Cotet walking across Abbey Road. Uh, there, there's just there's a um, there's a Crimson King one. There's one with the three Stephen Kings from the Dark Tower. There's just there's so many. There's a Pet Cemetery one. There are there are so many to choose from. Um, and whatever your predilection is for Stephen King, if you go to this site, I guarantee you that you're going to find something that that you would. Uh, be proud of rocking while walking down the street. And like I said, the, the joy here is is that you have to be like a hardcore Stephen King fan to to pick up on these shirts. And so just think about the thrill of walking down the street and having someone actually recognize it. And it's just a really good way to kind of walk undercover um, among the rest of the world and just wait for a fellow um, constant reader to approach you and say, hey, that 
that's an awesome shirt. Um, that's a really cool Oi t-shirt. That is a really cool Maturin um, the Turtle t-shirt. That is a, you know, really cool Sheb Saloon. That's awesome. Dixie Pay. Like, these are really, really cool t-shirts. Um, I, I cannot recommend them strongly enough. And if you want to own your own piece of Stephen King apparel, then head on over to ka-tet19.net and you will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. So up next, we have some emails. First of all, um, Sarah writes, Hey there, I just felt compelled to drop you a quick email to say I only recently discovered your podcast in the past couple days and have already listened to your three-part review slash analysis of The Stand and have plans to listen to Stand by the Tower, episode 150. Next. That being said, I want to thank you for the analysis of The Stand. I had a great time listening to the episodes during my drives to and from work, as well as at work. When I was 13, I sat down with my parents to watch the 1994 miniseries. At the time, I had only ever read It and Pet Cemetery, both of which terrified me to my very core. The miniseries was amazing. My thoughts on it at the time, and also my, int- my intense crush on Gary Sinise slash two, and it promised me, and it prompted me to get the stand and read it. Read it. That was the first of many, many reads, and it quickly became my favorite novel of all time. I collect different cover copies of The Stand, My Husband Finds This Strange, and run a fan Tumblr and Twitter account as well. Of course, after reading the novel a few times, I went back and rewatched the miniseries. It felt lacking in a way. Molly Ringwall is Franny? It feels so wrong now. Although I enjoyed it, I craved a proper adaptation, and I still do to this day. I have high hopes for Josh Boone's writing and directing, although I fear the project will find a permanent home on the back burner due to the scope of the novel. I still believe a series on Netflix or HBO is the right way to go, but I'll take just about anything at this point. So I'm going to interject, Sarah. Um, don't hold out hope for a Josh Boone stand. I don't think it's happening um, with Matthew McConaughey, who had been eyeballing Randall Flagg. The fact that he's playing Randall Flagg over in the Dark Tower movie... Um, and the fact that Josh Boone has moved on over to do Revival, starring Russell Crowe, I believe. Uh, I just don't, I don't think that, that The Stand is going to happen. Um, there, there was, I had high hopes. That definitely seemed like a movie that was going to just crush. I mean, the, the fact that they had Ben Affleck um, circling it, and then he walked away, and then Josh Boone came on. Josh Boone, you know, was up and coming, and... Uh, now you just don't hear about it. So, um, I don't know. That could all change when, uh, when I'm recording this, we're still three weeks away from the Dark Tower. So, by the time this comes out, this review of the Mangler, it will be around the time that the Dark Tower comes out. So, depending on how the Dark Tower does, it could be big. Who knows? I'm fingers crossed. I don't think it's going to be, but maybe it is big enough to get a sequel um, big enough to start to, to generate some buzz around Stephen King, then it is going to smash in the fall. So between that one-two punch and then Castle Rock will be coming soon, maybe that'll be enough for Warner Brothers to be like, all right, listen, there is a there is a, a want for Stephen King stuff and Stephen King properties, so let's just go ahead with the stand. Um, maybe they'll contact Josh Boone, who I know has his plate full with, um, with New Mutants right now, and then Revival. Um, Maybe they'll, they'll, they'll get someone else. Uh, who knows? Who knows what 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 lies in store for for the stand? Um, but you know, a big budget stand movie or series of movies um, could be great. Could be great. And Sarah continues. Anyway, I am rambling. The intent of my email is was to say thank you for a wonderful Stephen King podcast. 
I always feel a kinship to Stephen King fans, especially those who discuss The Stand with me, and I can't wait to listen to the rest of your episode reviews. You mentioned in your third episode of The Stand review that you still think it is your favorite Stephen King novel. How do you feel about the upcoming movie? That trailer is intense. Yo, I cannot wait for that movie. Um, and then just recently, Anthony Bresnikan posted on en Entertainment Weekly some uh, some photos from the movie and some storyboards from the movie. And kind of buried in, in the lead here is there is a fundamental, there's a small but fundamental change to the entire narrative. Um, so as you know, the, the book kicks off with the death of George Denborough and everything proceeds from from that event the movie is different uh it's not going to start with the death of george denbro it's going to start with the disappearance of george denbro and so i like that um as a book reader that kind of casts mystery over the the, the goings-on of the, the the movie because i don't know now how it's going to turn out maybe george will be alive i don't know but I also like that it it turns this this horror revenge story from you know the Losers Club trying to get revenge. It it kind of switches it and turns it into an adventure story where um, Bill is not being necessarily as reactive um, as trying to kill Pennywise for killing Georgie. He's being very proactive by trying to find Georgie. So it, I I like that, and it, it could just build up to this ultimate moment of tragedy where he discovers that yes georgie is dead or maybe they stay maybe they save georgie and and that completely changes everything going forward so that would make the sequel which i guarantee you there will be a sequel um 28 years later that's going to throw everything into um into unknown territory will the losers club be a club of eight Will Georgie die as an adult? Um, it, it casts so much uncertainty, it makes it really exciting. So, um, small change, but a fundamental one, uh, and I'm very, very excited. So, Sarah, thank you for writing in. Um, a really good email. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really hope that, that they go through with making the stand, after all. Okay, guys, and with uh, the, the email out of the way, um, well, I, actually, I should say, so if you guys want to write in, I mean, feel free to. I, I love checking my email and getting an, an, an email from uh, from a listener out there who shares their their experience and their thoughts. Um, so please, if you have a few minutes, just type a quick email and let me know what your experience with Stephen King is, your favorite books, you, whatever you want, whatever you want to write, and just write to Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. I would love to hear your thoughts. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's talk about The Mangler. Um, so from Wikipedia, just so we have a basis upon which I can build my analysis, Wikipedia writes, The Mangler, in Gartley's Blue Ribbon Laundry Service, is a laundry press owned by Bill Gartley. The trouble starts when Gartley's niece, Sherry, cuts herself on a lever connected to the machine and splashes blood on The Mangler's tread. While trying to avoid being crushed by an old icebox, some movers are clumsily carrying past. Sparks and light streams occur when both the blood and the icebox come into close contact with the mangler. Later, an elderly worker struggling to open a bottle of antacid spills them onto the moving tread of the mangler. When she attempts to collect them, the safety shield inexplicably lifts up and traps her hand inside, followed by her entire body getting pulled into the machine. Police officer John Hunton, with the help of his brother-in-law Mark, 
investigates the incident and the ones that soon follow. As the plot progresses, Mark tries to convince Hunton that the machine may be possessed, and the only way to stop the deaths is to exercise the machine to dispel whatever demon is inhabiting it. With the help of Sherry, the two men attempt to exercise the demon before it strikes again by reciting a prayer and administering holy water. The machine gives one last groan and shuts down. As the three sigh with relief, Hunton takes some antacids, admitting to Mark that they belong to Frawley. Mark suddenly realizes that the key ingredient in the antacids is Deadly Nightshade, also called the Hand of Glory as outlined in his occult books. Since the machine was fate accidentally fed the same antacids, Mark realizes that not only was the exorcism rendered useless as the demon is still alive, it is now stronger than ever. The machine bursts to life and now appears to have a mind of its own, shedding off pieces of metal and rising up in the manner of a wild beast. The three run through the warehouse as they are chased by the now mobile Mangler. The Mangler kills Mark while John and Sherry descend a flight of stairs. In their hurry to escape, they fall through a large manhole into the sewer below, the machine struggling to get them. Suddenly, something falls from the machine into the water, and a mechanical wail ensues. The machine draws back and becomes still, and John and Sherry escape. Time passes, and John goes to check upon Sherry. However, to John's great dismay, he discovers that Sherry has become the new tyrannical owner of the laundry business, going so far as to have the possessed machine rebuilt, resuming its duties. Review. Okay. So just backtrack a little bit. Um, when I reviewed Graveyard Shift, I talked about the fact that Graveyard Shift was like a blind spot for me. I had never watched it before. Um, and same thing with The Mangler. I never saw The Mangler, um, but I was definitely aware of The Mangler, and I was aware of how bad The Mangler looked, which was why I never bothered seeing The Mangler, even though it, it, it had um, both Buffalo Bill and... <laughs> Uh, Freddy Krueger in it, which is pretty awesome. But regardless, um, I, I I never approached it until now, until watching it for the, the purposes of the Stephen King cast. Um, just to get it out of the way, I did not enjoy this movie. Uh, this was not like Sleepwalkers fun um, or Maximum Overdrive fun. This just, this just reeked of mid, early, mid-90s, um, just bad Stephen King adaptations. Um just wasn't great guys so i mean and the thing is that that i couldn't get on my head was that toby hooper directed this i mean i i don't know if i knew that or forgot it i don't know but the man that directed texas chainsaw massacre directed this and that blew my mind more than anything else in the movie the movie itself begins with a, a very stylized look at the laundromat where the titular mangler lurks and this thing is a beast. I mean, it, it looks more in line with something out of a Tim Burton movie. It's stylish. It's over the top. It's definitely a choice that Toby Hooper made. Um, I would say it takes away from the reality of it. But there's something to be said about the grandeur of it. And it's shot well. You know, it's smoky. It's misty. It's backlit. I mean, the damn thing looks foreboding. I'll give you that. You know, it's scary without the possession angle, um, which occurs or begins to occur when Sherry cuts her hand on the lever. This, combined with the goofy and clumsy icebox mishap that causes, uh, I guess the only way to describe it is just like 90s blue electricity. I, I, there's a certain look 
that this effect has it is just rooted in the in the 90s um and it's it's of the time and it looks I, I don't know. If you're familiar with it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and fires from the icebox into the mangler. And I guess this is what we assume creates the monster that will chew up people for the next 90 minutes. But it's not the only thing that's chewing up things in this movie. Uh, because Freddy Krueger, like I said, Robert Englund, shows up to chew the shit out of this movie. He comes limping in um, with dual arm braces and leg braces with an eye patch to boot. You know, and I don't care what this movie is going to give me. It's already given me this, and it's more than I deserve. And it, it, it's it's going to be one of the better parts of this movie. I, I this man knows how to ham it up. I and I just I he is always going to be Freddy Krueger. Um, but it's also too bad that he also got typecasted as Freddy Krueger because when he does stuff like this, he has so much. Uh, range isn't the right well yeah i mean he's able i i like that he is tied firmly to the horror genre but is willing to just create different shades of lunacy um and he knows exactly what movie he's in and just to, to cut to the chase he's the best part of this movie we then get a lovely establishing shot of rikers valley the industrial heart of maine and more importantly within this town like i said it resides buffalo bill himself ted levine now, I'm not at this point five minutes into the movie, and already, to me, at the beginning of this, the potential is so potent because it's directed by Toby Hooper, and you're telling me that it stars both Freddy Krueger and Jamie Gum? Of course I'm going to love this. Unfortunately, I wind up not, but it's, it's primed to make me love it. But my question is, what is Ted Levine doing in this movie? At this point, he should be riding high off of his post-Silence of the Lambs phase. He's not a one-trick pony. He's seared into our minds as Buffalo Bill for sure, but his he's developed a, a, a gruff, no-nonsense approach um, you know, that allows him to play the exact opposite character of Buffalo Bill, you know, an authority figure, which is what he's doing here. Um, but it makes me wonder why he settled on this performance and not something a little bit more prestigious which is I'm, I'm, I'm sure he was inundated or maybe he wasn't with uh with more prestigious pro um, projects after silence of the lambs or you know one thing that he could do is audiobooks does ted levine do audiobooks if he doesn't he should i mean nobody nobody has a voice like ted levine I mean, it is so distinct. I love listening to that guy talk. Um, but back at the Blue Ribbon, uh, the Mangler takes a page out of the Audrey 2 playbook by slowly raising its jaws behind an unsuspecting victim. The old woman drops her pills into the roller and then is snatched into its jaws. Among everyone's screams and terror, Robert England stalks from the rafters above, giving commentary like, like Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets, exclaiming, Hell's bells, Adele! Now, me reading this does not do it justice. If you're used to Robert Englund as Freddy, you just, you have to see him here. He's contorting every syllable with a growl that just, you just need to experience this. Our characters converge at the Blue Ribbon as Officer Ted Levine arrives to investigate the accident that occurred minutes before. Things don't work out too good for him as he throws up everywhere and escapes into the fresh air. He's comforted by one of the employees who gives him some of the old woman's pills to calm down. 
the sensible cop that he is, not only does he take a few of the pills, but takes the entire bottle. And then in the backyard, in what should be a just friendly neighborhood relatable to barbecue, we get an overly dressed setting that doesn't look recognizable to reality at all. And we meet Ted Levine's buddy, Mark Jackson, whose house is full of blinking lights, metal art, and other oddities. Now, what's the deal with this guy? Is he British? Is he Californian? I can't quite nail down his accent. And I can't nail down Ted Levine's motivation at this point. He's already obsessing over the mangler. I mean, at this point, it was just considered an accident. There's no reason why he should think otherwise. Meanwhile, speaking of the mangler, one of those steam pipes comes loose and starts spraying steam on everyone, allowing Robert England to come back and terrorize his staff from above once again. At this point, I'm convinced that England has modeled the character after George C. Scott's John Rainbird from Firestarter. I, I guess it's part of his character's villainy to coerce his employees to bathe in his office? I, I guess that's one aspect. I'm not sure. I don't get it. I'm not going to object to it because, like I said, he's the best part of it. Um, and then Ted Levine visits Arnett the nice employee that gave him pills back at the laundromat. She's joined by Mark for some ex unexplained reason. And she looks terrible. It's good makeup, okay? Um, she's the one that, that suffered the, the, the steam burns. And the makeup job here is really, really good. Slimy, sweaty, burned, red, raw, nasty. But I, I just still, at this point, I don't know why Ted Levine is so gung-ho about this. He's already convinced the goddamn machine is alive. And Mark is on to something by asking about whether or not blood had been spilled on it. This movie has leapt over the natural, logical steps actual human beings would take. And though Ted Levine here is ultimately right, he's really an awful cop. I mean, he's just jumping to conclusions without evidence, he's taking pills from strangers, and takes his brother-in-law with him to interview accident victims. Then when Mark accidentally asks Levine if he thinks the mangler might be possessed, Levine cracks jokes and acts like Mark is a lunatic. This is how a normal person would react, but this is not how his character would react due to the fact that he's had a growing suspicion that something is already wrong with the machine. The two of them head over to Sherry's place. Now remember, at this point, Levine doesn't believe that the mangler is possessed, but he is still taking time out of his day to follow up on an accident victim for further questioning about the machine that he has suspicions about. The two of them head over um, to uh, learn about the icebox, the same icebox that was dumped on a neighbor's lawn, the same one that nearly killed him earlier that day, and as they head home, Mark and John discover that this same icebox is responsible for a neighbor's child's death. As Mark reaches in to rescue a little bird, his arm is chomped on by the icebox door. John starts hammering away on the thing with the ferocity as if the thing had killed his wife, and it unleashes a blue beam into the sky observed by everyone around in a major theatrical moment in the movie that is just beyond stupid. Like I said, this is not Sleepwalker's fun bad. It's just really bad, and I don't have much to say about it i i am sorry that this isn't the best review um i don't know i mean i don't know what's worse i don't know if this is worse or grave shift graveyard shift i mean at least with movies like maximum overdrive um the movies are fun and brightly lit um i can barely see what the hell is even happening in this movie every scene is drenched in mist and shadow it's forcing me to pay closer attention to the movie be because i can't see a goddamn thing 
and the problem is I don't want to pay more attention to this movie. Oh, and I haven't even talked about the photographer slash mortician that seems to haunt Ted Levine. I honestly can't tell the role of this character. Um, is he supposed to be a mentor, a friend, an enemy? It'd be one thing if these traits made this character interesting. But what he is, he's just a time suck. He's a cog in a machine that just doesn't make sense. And also what doesn't make sense is that Levine not only breaks into the blue laundry mat at night, but despite the fact that he now knows that the goddamn machine is possessed, decides to lean against it to house smoke. So what do you know? The mangler comes to life, sucks in his jacket, and in a bit of screwball comedy more in line with something out of Dumb and Dumber, he twists and turns and shouts for help as he's slowly pulled into the mangler. He only extricates himself through the use of his handgun. It is so cartoonish. He shoots his jacket until he's freed himself. It's like when Homer Simpson bought a gun and used it to shoot Lisa's basketball off of the roof. And then when he's approached by the one person who functions like a normal human being in this movie, the floor manager, Levine decides to punch him in the face, even though Levine is the one who broke into the laundromat. Levine and England have a showdown with one another. What world is this supposed to take place in? The characters treat Robert England's character as if he's some sort of oil baron. The guy owns a laundromat. Now, I'm sure that someone in his position would do pretty well for himself, but all the discussion about power and influence makes this the most extreme example of unreality I've ever seen out of a Stephen King story. And the level of unreality continues as Ted Levine is fired over the dispatch radio, and it escalates from there pretty quickly. Back at Blue Ribbon, Robert Englund talks to a woman about a pact. At this point, I'm so zonked out that I'm not paying attention, regardless of how bad the lightning forces me to watch the screen. I just don't care. And to be honest, just so everyone knows, I had to walk away from this godforsaken movie and come back later. As I said to someone on Facebook, it, the movie just wouldn't end. I watched it for five hours and discovered I was only 40 minutes into a 90-minute movie. The foreman gets sucked into the mangler and... Look, guys, I mean, the, the, the mangler scenes aren't even good. As possession machinery goes, this piece of equipment isn't great at being bad. It's just kind of inept. The foreman just lies there while his arm is stuck in a scene that just stretches forever. And his arm is eventually cut off while Robert England, England narrates from above. And I don't know at this point what's happening in the movie. I just think that it needs to end. Then John's mortician, photographer, mentor, enemy figure dies in a scene that doesn't know whether it's supposed to be touching or ghoulish. Now, for God's sake, the man is dying, and with his last words, he gives John advice. You would think it's touching and all, but then he jerks upright, shoots a wad of blood at the camera, and collapses back on the bed. And all the while, the music plays as if we're in the middle of an Oscar drama. It feels like a demon got inside this movie. It's the only thing I can think of that makes sense. You know how they said that the filming of the, the Exorcist was haunting, and the same thing with Poltergeist, right? Well, maybe the reason this movie is so bad is because there's an evil entity that exists within it, just determined to make this movie as bad as it can be. It's the only thing that I can think of that makes sense to explain how bad this movie is. Now, Freddy Krueger and his sidekick assault Sherry, his niece. I'm sure there's a reason, but like I said, I just don't care. To feed to the mangler, I suppose? I don't know. Meanwhile, John and Mark argue about the plan to exorcise the demon from the mangler. It's an awful scene. They stop the car for no reason. They both get out of the car for no reason. Mark takes all of his stuff, places it on the hood. 
Ted Levine paces back and forth. This commences for about 15 seconds before he orders both of them to get back in the car. And at this point, I only had about 20 minutes left. And as I watched it, I just really hoped that 19 of those 20 minutes were credits. Levine and Mark show up just as Freddy Krueger is attempting to feed Sherry to the mangler. Again, this is the worst demon inhabiting machine I've ever seen. It can't even eat a person when it's being fed. And then there's a fight scene in which Levine fails to beat up crippled Freddy Krueger. And then Freddy's sidekick goes through the mangler. The mangler then snatches Freddy Krueger and gives a pretty horrific death. I'll give Toby Hooper that. And I'll say this about Robert Englund. He is the only one in this movie that knows what the hell is going on. Not the character, just the actor. He knows exactly what this movie is. And he's the only thing worth watching about it. It makes me wish that he and Brad Dourif's character from Graveyard Shift did a movie together. You know, both of these actors make these respective movies worth watching. After he's dead, Mark and John give a laughable exorcism in which Mark chants holy words and Levine throws Bibles at it or something. I don't, I don't remember. And just to take the edge off, Levine takes some of the old woman's pills. Then the mangler breaks out of its confinements and chases them. Mid-90s effects are full on display and they're just as awful as you would expect them to be. The mangler chases them through what looks like an underground cathedral until it just gives up for some reason. Did it die? Did it explode? I can't really tell. And it's not just because I'm not paying attention. The movie just doesn't convey this information. Oh yeah, and then Mark died. Anyway, Levine goes back to the Blue Ribbon only to discover that the mangler is back at it and Sherry has taken up Robert Englund's role. In conclusion, this was a fun short story, the one that was published in Night Shift. It's goofy, it's atmospheric, it's effective. It's filled with regular characters having to deal with an irregular situation. This movie is none of these things. It's laborious. It takes forever. It's filled with characters whose motivations bounce back and forth. The only thing consistent about these characters are their inconsistencies. It's moody. It's large. The characters are over the top. Honestly, this movie is the reason why Stephen King has such a bad rap in some circles. For every The Shining, there's The Mangler or Graveyard Shift. This movie comes about during the stretch where everyone was trying to get in on the Stephen King brand, but ultimately their efforts only served to water down that brand. Oh, this movie is really, really bad, guys, without any redeeming qualities. If we're led to believe that the characters and towns listed in the Castle Rock trailer for the upcoming Hulu series indicates that these characters are the, that these are characters that might appear in the show then it means that we might see John Hunton and the Mangler appear. And I hope that if this is the case, we get a better version of this character. And I hope that Ted Levine plays one of the King's other characters. Not only would it be a nice shout out, but despite the awful performance here, Levine is an incredibly strong actor who I would love to see inhabit the town of Castle Rock. Um, he would be great. And he would be a welcome addition to a pretty badass cast that that is growing over there at castle rock so when it finally when that show finally does come out it will have some some really strong actors at its helm and i would love to see ted levine take ranks among them hopefully to redeem um his not necessarily his performance but his inclusion in in the mangler um because this movie just wasn't wasn't good <laughs> Okay, guys, um, so I know that this was a, a relatively short episode for the Stephen King cast, so I apologize for that. 
But don't worry, I'll have a new episode um, for sure one week from today. Maybe one even before. Who knows? Um, but next week's episode uh, will <clears throat> will definitely keep within the, the, the world of, of Night Shift. So make sure that, that you stay tuned. All right, everyone. If you haven't done so already, head on over to iTunes. Uh, the more reviews I get, the the better it out. The better it, it helps the Stephen King cast. And if you haven't written Stephen King cast at Yahoo.com, feel free to share all of your Stephen King thoughts. Don't forget to buy all your T-shirts at ka-tet19.net and head on over to OneForTheRoad2018.com to get all your information regarding the the, the latest Stephen King adaptation. Um, one that happens to be based on one of the short stories from Night Shift, a quasi-sequel to Salem's Lot, One for the Road. All right, everyone, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. Kick it when they're up, kick it when they're down, kick it when they're up, kick it when they're down.